Hello, and welcome to the Big Feels Club. Ooh. I'm Anna Eastley, and my co-host is Graham Panther. Hello. And we are the two glorious individuals behind the Big Feels Club. For those of you who don't know, the Big Feels Club is a place to come and talk about the messy stuff of being a human. Oh, yes. Every month we pick one aspect of the life plus feelings equation and we dive right into it with all of you on the internet. The way it works is we send you some good stuff to listen to on that month's topic and then you talk about it with other people who are trying to make sense of the same messy life stuff. You can do that in our special Facebook group, and if you live in Melbourne and you're one of those leave the house types, Ooh, rare. you can also come to the monthly meetup that we put on in Melbourne. Yes, that's real people with real feelings and real opportunities to realize you're maybe not the only person who feels this way. All right. More info on the meetup and the Facebook group at the end of this podcast. So let's get stuck into it. This month's topic is what if trying to fix myself makes me feel worse. Now, for those of you who tuned in last time, there was just one thing to listen to, the podcast that we made. This month, there's two things. There is firstly an episode of another podcast called Invisibilia. It's actually one of my favorite podcast episodes about mental health. And then the second thing to listen to is this podcast that you're listening to right now. Think of it as kind of like your companion reader for that episode of Invisibilia. So if you haven't listened to the Invisibilia app yet, go back and check that out first. You can find the link in the email from us marked book club, or you can just Google Invisibilia, the problem with the solution. Now, for those of you who have already listened to that podcast episode, <sighs> look, I've listened to it a number of times, but we just listened to it before we recorded this and I am severely dehydrated. <laughs> <laughs> there were some tears. <laughs> oh my God. I cried so much. As per gender norms, I had some moisture forming in my eyes. Oh, good work. Uh, so there are some big ideas in that podcast, it'd be fair to say. Okay, I gotta say that they cover a lot. They cover they a lot. They go a lot of places. Oh yeah. And particularly if if you're new to a lot of those ideas about, you know, different ways of making sense of the messy stuff of being a human, you might be feeling a few things right now. You might be feeling a bit overwhelmed, might be feeling a bit confused, maybe a little excited about some of those ideas. Hungry, uh, maybe, maybe a little hungry. bit hungry. <laughs> I like how I stole your joke there. <laughs> Very classic honor. The point is, that episode raises some pretty big stuff. And we want to say right up top here, we do not plan to tie this all up in a neat bow and find the answer. The Big Feels Club is just about having these gooey discussions with other people who don't have the answer either. Well, I think that that's really relevant to the podcast that everyone would have just listened to. Yeah. Which is there's that bit where Ellen, the main person researcher that they speak to, talks about how she goes to Hale and she discovers that the solution is to stop trying for a solution. Mm. And she's like, I found it. <laughs> and she goes to bring it back to America. And it's such a hard <laughs> sell sometimes. Like people really want answers. <laughs> I, Me, like 
I know, I know the feeling of wanting answers like really bad with every fiber of your being. Mm. Yeah. So we could talk about maybe a million different things from that podcast, The Problem with the Solution. For this little recording, this little meta podcast about a podcast, we're going to focus on two big questions. The first is when you feel like someone's trying to fix you, what does that do to your relationships? Like to your relationships with like your colleagues or your family or your friends or your partner. partner. And secondly, second big question, when you feel like you need to be fixed, what does that do to your sense of self? Makes me feel great. (laughs) (laughs) Done. End of story. Cool. So to start with that first question, which is, What happens to our relationships when someone is trying to fix the other one? I want to go back to a moment in this podcast, which, oh my God, stood out so much to me, which is the buttons guy. The buttons guy. (laughs) Which if you listened to that podcast a little while ago, just a reminder, the buttons guy is this guy who is in hail. He's one of the boarders and every day he would twist off his buttons and his like host mum Mm -hmm. would have to sew on the buttons every day. And he takes them off because he's anxious, right? Yeah. And the lightning bulb moment for the researcher who's hearing that story is because she says, "What? Why don't you just use twine to yeah, why don't you sew use fishing line? them back on? Yeah, fishing line, so he can't pull them off." And the the host mum's like, "Are you crazy? The whole point is he needs to pull the buttons off." Mm. That's like his way of dealing, his process for dealing with how he's feeling. Mm. So this first big gooey question, when you feel like someone is trying to fix you, what does it do to your relationships? It's kind of an abstract question. So a useful starting point can be to consider, do you have a thing that you do that's like tearing off the buttons? Something that maybe other people think of as a problem. Or just even just a bit weird. And then how do people respond to that? So we're going to give you our own examples <laughs> in the spirit of oversharing. So first of all, Anna, what are your buttons? Uh, so the one that kind of most comes up is that I like cry quite a lot. Okay, so I cry so much that I spent two years collecting all of my tears. A lot of people are like, that doesn't make sense. How did you do that? Um, that makes it sound like that was because you cried so much. I think it's because you cried so much and you're you. Sure. Who turns okay. everything <laughs> yeah. into an art project. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> so because I cried a bunch and because I'm me, I decided to collect them all. I did first off try actually trying to collect tears in a vessel, mm. but it turns out that's really difficult to do. Tears evaporate. Weird. Mm. How dare they? And that it really makes the crying experience quite odd. Picture me with like a Tupperware container <laughs> my eyes whilst crying. We'll put a picture of that in the notes. For this, uh, <laughs> and in terms of like socially acceptable displays of emotion, <laughs> that made it even more odd than me just crying in the first place. So anyway, I spent two years carrying tissues around with me everywhere. Whenever I cried, I'd like save these tissues. So I have like boxes and boxes of, I think it's over like 500 entries over a course of two years. That's a lot. That's mm. almost every day. Anyway, sometimes, anyway. And I saved my tears because I had no idea whether I was a person who cried a lot 
and the only way of knowing would be to kind of like get some data around it. So you mean you knew you cried regularly, but you didn't know what a lot was, as in how much do other people cry? Yeah. I have no idea. Yeah. Like, I mean, crying's usually a really private thing. So That's right. People don't usually show their collection of tears. <laughs> they usually just keep it in their cupboard. <laughs> anyway, so that's something that I've also gotten a lot of messaging around for a long time throughout my life that I am like too sensitive or mm. that I do cry too much. What's the lovely label, the phrase that they gave you, emotionally... Emotionally dysregulated. Dysregulated. Yeah, 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 yeah. Woo. That's a fun one. That's a mouthful. That makes you feel good. <laughs> um, and what's interesting is that how people have responded to that over time has really changed, particularly since how I've responded to, to it personally has changed. Mm. So, like, I've been around a lot of people who have been very weirded out by me crying. Now that I've done more and more kind of projects, like I've cried a lot in public. It's now like part of my personal brand, I suppose. <laughs> so people aren't as freaked out by it as yeah. they usually would be. Yeah. And I think what's been really, I mean, this is a kind of a success story, I suppose. But what's been really interesting is that I think because of that, I've sought out opportunities where I could find places where that kind of emotional sensitivity is seen as a resource rather than a personal like weakness. Mm. What strikes me is exactly that it's, it's context. Like when you're in hospital and you're crying every day, that gets read a certain way when you're doing your thing out there in the world, get some projects on finding your meaning and bliss and whatever, and still crying most days. Dude, it's different. <laughs> how many times have I cried today? Already? <laughs> like, I know we just listened to that podcast and I cried like five times. But even before that, even I think I cried like three times. Just in the editing break between recording the bits of this podcast. <laughs> that is true. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so what about you? Okay, so my one, one of my buttons, one of the ones I've thought of is from a long time ago, actually. It's from when I was a little kid. I think I was about eight. And I was living in a foreign country. Life was a bit overwhelming when I was eight. And I developed this interesting little habit of making these funny little noises mm. when I was feeling a little bit anxious. What kind of noises? I'm, <laughs> we talked about this before. I'm not going to do them for you because there's still a tiny part of my brain that's afraid if I start doing them again <laughs> that I won't stop. <laughs> How about that? Um, but I made these little noises that could be interpreted as Tourette's, mm. uh, another one of these lovely labels. And I remember the, the memory that really stands out is sitting in the car with my dad. We were parked outside somewhere and we were having a chat and he said, he just said to me, so those noises. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> he's noticed. And he said, do you? want to be making those sounds? And I said, no, no, I really don't. I want to stop. And he said, okay, well, how about just every time you do, I'll just remind you that you're doing that and that you said you didn't want to. Mm. And it, it really didn't take me long until I stopped doing that. But I don't see that as a, as a fix, as a solution story. I see that as him creating a space and I have no idea how he knew how to do this because he was in the Air Force. 
He didn't have any training. He probably was a little bit freaked out at his kid being weird. <laughs> but his response was, this isn't a problem necessarily, but what do you think of it? Mm. <laughs> he didn't say stop doing it. Mm. I think that was the key. And he didn't whip me off to see the specialist. That came, you know, that came a few years later uh, <laughs> with some other issues. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I think the point is he wasn't, my dad wasn't like, why are you doing that? He, was, he wasn't trying to trying to make sense of it. He was simply saying, do you want to do it? Mm. So in the Facebook thread or at the meetup, that's question one. When you feel like someone's trying to fix you, what does that do to your relationships? And we've built in a couple of layers to that one. So first of all, what we just talked about, what's something you do or maybe you used to do that's like tearing off those buttons? Like you, Graham, being afraid of making those sounds? Or like you collecting your tears? That's clearly not something that needs to be fixed. And so the second layer to that first big question is, have you ever had a relationship in your life where there's been a dynamic of one person mostly helping the other person? And how does that dynamic shape that relationship? So that relationship could be with anyone. It could be with friends, family, partners, or it could even be your therapist. Mm. We're not going to go into that here, but there'll be space to talk about it in the Facebook group. So the second big question that we're going to talk about today is when you feel like you need to be fixed, what does that do to like how you feel about yourself? <laughs> and this one, they don't really dive into this so much in the yeah. episode. And I think part of that is that a lot of the story is told from the perspective of the helpers. Yeah, totally. You, hear, you finally hear from the sister at the end, which I was really hanging out for. So this is kind of a little bit us jumping off from the, the discussion in the podcast and thinking about well, what does it mean for us personally to feel like we need to be fixed? Yeah. And I mean, when I started really thinking about these questions and these kinds of ideas, it was, it was like quite an in intense experience, particularly because I had been using different therapies and going to see therapists for like quite a long time since I was quite young. So mm. since I was like, I think like 13 mm. and those kinds of years are some formative years of when you start solidifying some ways of thinking about yourself. Yeah. Funny who you are. Yeah. And so I think that this, I need to be fixed idea has been an idea that's been in my life for a really long time. Mm. Like ever since I can remember. Mm. And what was interesting was that I kind of moved through the mental health system in a sort of like moderate way for a while. And then... What do you mean? Like, I mean, <laughs> if they were going to put me on like stages, <laughs> I'd be in the moderate category. Right. And then I was in the more serious category. So you went from the not so scary sounding diagnosis to the oh my god <laughs> yeah 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 i did some of that yeah and particularly when i got to that more like scary end that really kicked into the gear the like needing to fix oneself to the point that actually what happened was that and this it sounds silly now that i think about like the course of action but that became my like sole task yes so <laughs> so I kind of stopped doing a lot of the things in my own life that were really stressful 
but what also gave me a sense of meaning. Yes. So I've always done a lot of like creative projects and stuff like that. And then in cahoots with friends and family and partners and stuff was like, no, I'm going to focus on, on this now that I know what's going on. Cause that's how, that's how I felt at the time. I was like, okay, I'm going to really commit myself to all these therapies and to trying all of this stuff. And I'm going to make sure that nothing gets in the way of that. And that means I'm going to quit doing my creative projects. I'm going to quit doing that, blah, blah, blah. And so really a lot of like all my energy was going towards trying to fix myself. Yeah. And what was interesting about that was that I also realized that a lot of the relationships that you come across in those kinds of periods, well, they end up in a dynamic where you, I'm the person that needs to be fixed. I'm the person that needs help. And what's really sad is that being able to be useful and helpful to other people is such a gift for feeling like you are capable and and have a meaningful existence. And that really that really got minimized when yeah. I was really focused on fixing myself yeah and when a lot of my relationships were also focused on that this is the stuff and this is where we're jumping up from in the podcast the 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 invisibilia they talk about how you know that that stuff about emotional over involvement Mm. about how you know something about friends and family wanting so much for you to get better kind of seeps seeps into that relationship and and really as the person who they want to get better, you end up feeling like what they're really saying to you is there's something wrong with how you are. Mm. And what I find interesting about it is that you do that to yourself as well. Oh, absolutely. And that's what I found interesting was that that was something that wasn't really talked about in the podcast episode is that that really happens to yourself. I think about, you know, when when I was – my first really deep dive into the pit of despair and weirdness. Part of, you know, part of what what <laughs> what made that such a lonely place to be is that so much of my energy was monitoring myself. <laughs> watching myself like a hawk for signs of improvement, for signs of deterioration. <laughs> yeah. Shit, that's... That's a tough space to be. That's also like you can't you can't get away from it. Mm. And I feel compelled to say this. I didn't stay there. <laughs> <laughs> I visited again and again, but I but I didn't stay there. And I really didn't think I'd ever get out of that space mm. of of obsessive self monitoring. I thought that was just me. I thought that was just it. We had a couple of little stories we want to share on this topic before we wrap it up. So just this this question of the power of labels, do you want to speak to yeah, that? Yeah, so it was really interesting how they talked about the power of labels in this episode. And, you know, one, one example is they're saying that uh, in Hale, they don't tell the families what the diagnosis is. And in that apartment building um, that the researchers set up, they don't really, they don't really tell people who want to move in that much about Mm. um, who else might be living there. It's so funny. I think that when we talk about language and labels, it can be really easy to dismiss 
those arguments as just people just being politically correct. Mm. But I know that for me, changes in language have been really foundational to finding different ways of thinking about myself. Mm. And it's funny because I have a, I have a good friend who I remember years ago, they were talking about the details of how they would monitor the language that they use with themselves. Mm. And I remember thinking that that was over the top. And now I'm like so on board. (laughs) So for instance, I remember, so I used to really have this idea of myself as being really emotionally dysregulated. That came from a medical framework, which was the like, which was, that was the ideas I came across. Yeah, that's what they told you. (laughs) (laughs) That was in the books that I read, all that kind of stuff. Mm. And I remember really heavily identifying with that. Mm. And particularly given that I had, as I mentioned before, received, you know, quite a bit of feedback over my life that I was, like my emotions were not good. (laughs) And I remember at one point during that time getting into a new relationship and I was really terrified of the point at which this person would realize that I was like too much yeah. that, that I was, I too had many feelings. too many feelings Uh-oh. going on. And I remember telling them as such, like, so what did you say? I said, I'm just afraid that I'm too much for you. Yes. Like that I have too many feelings. Yeah. That's like what I've heard a lot in relationships. Yeah. And <laughs> they said to me, no, 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 no. I don't think of you as being emotionally dysregulated i think that you're emotionally deluxe (laughs) 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 which was a really big moment for me of like finding a different way of looking at my experiences that wasn't really negative yeah i think it's interesting to also bring in i think sometimes that the inclination can be that You've had a really negative kind of label and now you want a really positive kind of a label. Uh, yes. But actually, maybe you just want like a synthesis. So I'm really emotional. That's really difficult in some particular spaces. Yes. Like, for instance, <laughs> the other day we were playing a game of cards and it was a situation <laughs> where I was like, I really can't get emotional in this situation. But I was like freaking out because... Sometimes I freak out over games of cards. <laughs> you mean you mean specifically freaking out about the fact that you were losing? <laughs> Shut up! No, I'm not. I'm not trolling you. I just mean you know to be clear, the feeling that a seemingly minor objective thing feels like a really big deal feels overwhelming. Particularly if you're in a space where you're like, it's really not okay if I freak out about this. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so. So that genuinely can be quite confronting because it's often not appropriate. Mm -hmm. And I have ways of mitigating that or things that I've learned, blah, blah, blah. And on the other hand, there can be spaces where that kind of emotional expression is really useful. So it's not like actually everything's wonderful. Yes. It's just like actually it's not either of those things completely. For me, you know, I've had a few different labels in my time and they've all had use at different points. I've had a a period of my life where a medical sounding label was really useful and validating. And I've had a period of my life where uh, another big, scary sounding medical label was really scary and and really made me feel hopeless. Mm. Mm. I've also had... (laughs) a point right where I was really, really struggling. I had a an energy healer 
tell me that I was an indigo child having a spiritual awakening and that I was here to save the planet. <laughs> How'd that make you feel, Greg? <laughs> well, it made me feel pretty damn good for a while there. <laughs> Particularly because at the same time I'd had a, a psychiatrist tell me I was going to be fucked for a long time mm. in his professional opinion. Mm. So I'll tell you which one made me feel better and I'll tell you which one made me feel like I didn't belong on earth. Mm. Now the thing is I don't identify with either of those views now about myself. I don't identify as being completely <laughs> fucked, but I also don't identify as being fixed or being the savior of humanity. <laughs> Sometimes on a good day. <laughs> <laughs> it's so much messier than that. It's so much messier than any one label can, can contain. That's that's kind of the thing, right? It is, but that's also like not how we like things to be. No, we like no. an answer. We want the answer. Yeah, exactly. And that's We want the solution. Yeah. Yeah. I mean so often when you look up really close at stuff, the answer is dissatisfying because the answer is often shit's complicated. <laughs> And that's really annoying. Yeah. But particularly if you're, if you're having a really fucking hard time. Exactly what I was going to say. You really, really want. You really want an answer. Yeah. All right. So get on the Facebook group to share your thoughts with other Big Feels Clubbers. If you're not in there already, Google in your email for <laughs> this month's topic. What if trying to fix myself makes me feel worse? Book club. You'll see a link to the Facebook group in there. If you're not on our mailing list, so if you don't have any emails from us and you stumbled on this podcast by some other means. <laughs> some sorted means. <laughs> they have to be sorted. Head along to bigfeels.club and sign up there to get all the good stuff like access to the Facebook group and fortnightly newsletters from us about the whole life plus feelings equation. And for those of you in Melbourne or willing to splurge on a hire van to shuttle you and a bunch of other sensitive cats here to see us, <laughs> the meetup for this episode is on September 1st. There may or may not be spots left. Those tickets, they actually go really fast. You'll find an Eventbrite link in an email from us. Just search again for the topic of this one, what if trying to fix myself makes me feel worse. Book club. One last thing. We're actually working on a new show with the ABC right now. I've just been working on the podcast tile artwork. <laughs> <laughs> and it's all about this particular topic. It's a narrative podcast, so it's kind of like Invisibilia, the podcast that we listen to. Except this it's month. all about you. Yeah, except it's all about me. Ooh. And my attempts to find help through the usual mental health channels and things I've learned along the way. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be out at the start of October this year. And if you are from the future and listening to this after October 2018, you can probably go get it right now on your podcast app. Just search for No Feeling Is Final Podcast to find it. I just listened to some of the like really initial rough cuts and it's going to be amazing. We listened to five minutes of it yesterday and had a big cry. <laughs> <laughs> so that's all from us for now. Feelings be with you. And also with you. Amen. <laughs>